A few weeks ago, we launched into this uh, series called Disciple. And uh, as you can see up there, we've sort of defining it as uh, these three things. Be with Jesus, become like Jesus, do what Jesus did. So in case you've missed a couple of Sundays, just going to recap what we've been talking about. So uh, each week we've gone through a process of kind of highlighting what it means and what it doesn't mean to be a disciple. Week one, we were saying that being a disciple of, of Christ is relational, not informational. Uh, we talked in week two about how it's intentional, not accidental. Some good things can happen by accident, but really good things can happen intentionally. Last week, we talked about how our spiritual growth is cyclical, not linear. Like we, we, we sometimes feel like we're coming to the same mountain again and again and again, but as we mature, we're come, it's a different us that's coming to that same mountain. And God wants to do something deeper in that similar situation than what he did the last time, right? So it's cyclical. It's not linear. And today, we're going to talk about how becoming a disciple and disciple making is spiritual. It's not necessarily mental or emotional. And it not being mental is like really good, takes the pressure off me. I feel really good about that. So it's kind of an important issue for us to touch on about it being spiritual and not so much a, a, something that we work up in our, in our mind or in our emotions because our church and the church as a whole, as Adrian pointed out during, during worship, it seems like every moment seems like in a time like this, right? I feel like the church is going through a time like this. Uh, where we're looking around at the world and we're looking at, at who we are and how we do things and we're having to assess, okay, well, how have we been approaching being disciples of, of Christ and how might we need to adjust that in the future in order to really go after what God has for us? So I want to bring up uh, a, uh, a study that was published not long ago by the Barna Research Group. So they published a study, uh, and the study was trying to show how many people in America are, and the term they used was practicing Christians. I'm assuming that means not, you know, like, like they're actual Christians, they're not just like working at it to try to get better, like putting in the practice hours, but how many are practicing Christians? And the results that they said showed that only about 25% of Americans identified themselves as being practicing Christians. And that's about half the number that was uh, in a similar study just 20 years ago. So around the year 2000, it was, it was 50%. Now it's 25%, right? And it also shows that the stats for Gen Z are even, even lower. Whether or not people are... Uh, are spiritual people, I guess. What they're saying is that identifying specifically as a Christian, that's the, that's the sticking point for some, for some folks, for more folks than, than there has been. Um, now, this kind of study result, it's the kind of study result that makes us as church-going people kind of freak out and throw fits and start to do weird things, right? We have to remember, as I say those numbers, God is in control. God's, God's got this. We don't have to stress. We don't have to worry, right? We win, right, Kajer? God's got it. He's got your victory planned out. He's got victory for his body planned out. It's all good. But we also should be aware, right? So if we don't have that sort of whispering voice saying, God's got this, then what we do is we start looking for 
We look for reasons why this is the case. We start finding problems. We start seeing a research study, and we start trying to do our own studies. And we try and figure things out, and we, we, we start blaming things, right? We start finding problems, and we categorize these, these things like, oh, we didn't have the right whatever. We didn't have the right music. We didn't have the right atmosphere. We didn't have the right focus in this ministry. We didn't have the right message series. So clearly, that's why there are fewer people. Or, or we say, well, we didn't, we didn't have enough focus on this ministry, or we put too much focus on that ministry. Or we say we lack certain things, like we lack money, we lack volunteers, we lack facilities. We start looking at all these reasons for a number. And then if we're not careful, we start to lay blame, right? When we, we usually lay blame on things that we actually can't control, and if we're real honest, we lay blame on things that we don't like anyway, right? So, well, 25% of people identify as practicing Christians, that's because of media, which I can't control. I mean, if I could control media, we would be watching Gilligan's Island all day long. Yeah. I'm just saying. You'll know the moment I take over mass media because it will, you'll flip through channels and it will only be Gilligan's Island, right, and, uh, and 80s music videos. That's what it'll be. And, and Dumb and Dumber. That's it. That's all you'll get. Uh, so, so we blame media, right? We blame culture. We blame politics. We blame other things that are way outside of our scope, like, well, there was a pandemic, or the economy is this way, or, or, or people are going, going to church on internet, and it's just, they've got this easy believism, and that's why they're not coming anymore. We blame all these things that, honestly, we can't control. And just remember, God's got this. The Aaron Rodgers principle, right? Relax, relax. And I think... I think uh, what this gets us doing is it gets us trying to throw our very best ideas at a problem, but honestly, it's our very best ideas that leads to bad situations. The best ideas that we can come up with, the things that come from our mind are oftentimes different than the things that come from God's heart to try to, f- to, try to address circumstances. And I personally think, I personally believe that the most telling thing about this Barna study is the definition that they're going by for practicing Christian. So they are, I, they are saying that a practicing Christian is somebody who feels strongly about their faith and has attended church once in the last month. That is, that's their, that's their definition, right? That, I think, is an issue. For me, I think, well, yeah, numbers are fine, but here's really a core issue, right? So we think about it, and while you're thinking about it, I'm going to read from the book of Acts. Acts 11, 19 through 26 says, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and he saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad, and he encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. And then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. So here in Acts, we see these disciples doing some really important things. And I think it's one thing to point fingers at all sorts of stuff we can't control. 
it's another thing to go back to the roots and think, okay, what's in my hand? What can I do? What can I control? What am I in charge of? I mentioned two weeks ago, there's only three things God allows us to be in charge of, right? And that's our thoughts, our attitudes, and our actions. So what can our thoughts, our attitudes, and actions be doing? And I look at this. They were first called Christians at Antioch. They were going out of their way in service for Jesus, going out of their way, suffering things that were inconvenient, things that were painful, even to the point of death, with Stephen mentioned here. They were intentionally sharing the good news about the Lord with people they didn't even know. That's a huge, huge thing. They were encouraging other disciples to remain faithful. They were embracing and relying upon the Holy Spirit to lead them. They were remaining with a group of people for an extended time to teach them how to walk in the ways of Jesus. So what I'm getting at here is they were first called Christians, not the definition Barna's using. They were first called Christians, the definition we should go by at Antioch, not because they felt seriously about their faith and they went to church once a month. That's not why they were called Christians. They were called Christians because they looked like Jesus. They did what Jesus was going to do, right? They spent time in service of the Lord. They were so much like Christ. The trouble is that our bar has kind of been set low by generations of us believing that we can fix the problem with our best ideas. And we end up lowering the bar for what it means to be a Christian. I've said this before, the things of God are simple. They're not easy, but they're simple. So our very, very, very best ideas are not better than what made them called Christians at Antioch, right? That's the best idea, because it's the way God would do it. So A.W. Tozer, uh, he was born, before we start freaking out about like the year 2022, A.W. Tozer was born like 1897, right? He died 60 years ago, and this is how he described the American church in his day. We may as well face it, the whole level of spirituality among us is low, We have measured ourselves by ourselves until the incentive to seek higher plateaus in the things of the Spirit is all but gone. We have imitated the world, sought popular favor, manufactured delights to substitute for the joy of the Lord, and produced a cheap synthetic power to substitute for the power of the Holy Spirit. So before we get freaking out thinking, oh my gosh, this is a 2022 problem, no. This is a human condition problem. And we've just, now we can just put better numbers to stuff. It's a human condition thing. So if we, if we want to see people come to know Christ, this is, this is kind of a definition of where we've been, but it doesn't have to be where we're going. It's been the history, but it doesn't have to be our destiny, right? So we've seen the way things have gone. Now I think what I'm so excited about, especially with our campus here and One Chapel as, as a whole, is that we're refocusing on these things that, that, cause them to be called Christians at Antioch in the first place. Resetting priorities, resetting a focus, doing the things that are simple, maybe not easy, but the things that are simple that God called us to do, right? We're readying ourselves for the next wave of what God's going to do in our city. We're getting ourselves ready for the next wave of what God's going to do in our state, in our region, in our nation. We're at work here so that when we do a research study later on, the numbers are different, right? So it's important for us to remember, though, that the key factor in all of this is we can't do anything of value for God without the Holy Spirit. 
We can't do anything for val- of value for God without the Holy Spirit. We're going to read the words of Paul to the Corinthians. This is 2 Corinthians 2, 1 through 14. I'm going to take a deep breath because it's a lot. Here we go. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but it's not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him, these are the things that God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. The person without the spirit doesn't accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and can't understand them because they're discerned only through the spirit. So what is Paul, uh, Reader's Digest version, what is Paul talking about here? Becoming a disciple of Jesus and helping other people become a disciple of Jesus is not a mental exercise. It's not an emotional experience. If it were, then we'd basically be making disciples of ourselves, right? If my ideas and my emotional experience that I could lead people through is what disciple-making was about, then we'd be making disciples of Darren. And honestly, that's not the world you want to live in because of the huge amounts of Gilligan's Island that you would have to sit through, right? So we're not making disciples of ourselves. We're making disciples of Jesus, but the only one who knows Jesus intimately like God, who can lead us to know Jesus the way that he is to be known, is the Holy Spirit. The only way to the Father is through the Son, and the connection from us to the Son is the Holy Spirit. We can't do it without him. We are molded and shaped by the Holy Spirit into the image of Jesus. That's what God is doing in our lives. That's what he's doing in our church and in the church as a whole. And that is better than, as I was talking about before, we freak out about numbers. This, being molded and shaped by the Holy Spirit into the image of Jesus, that's the best idea that we could possibly embrace for bringing other people to know him, right? It's not about programs and plans, and it's not about strategies, and it's not, it's not about any of that. It's about the Holy Spirit, and it's about being in relationship with people and introducing them to Jesus. It is simple, but it's not easy, but thank God it's simple. So Jesus described this role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. In John 14, 26 and 27, he said, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, 
who the Father will send in my name, he'll teach you all things. And he'll bring to your remembrance all the things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. So let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Even if you have to speak in front of people, Tony, don't be afraid, right? You've got the Holy Spirit with you. We access everything that Jesus has given us, and we accomplish everything that Jesus set us to do through the Holy Spirit. That's how we get access to, to, to everything Jesus gave, and that's how we do everything he's called us to do. Like even now, when we're reading the scriptures, we can read them, we can see the words, we can understand what those words mean, but it's something different when we invite the Holy Spirit into the process. Have you ever read a scripture two, three, four times, and you see something different in it each time? That's the Holy Spirit, taking the same words and speaking exactly what you need in that moment. He's at work in our lives. He's revealing things. So when the Holy Spirit opens up our minds to the scriptures, we can learn, we can understand, we can remember, and we can relay them to other people in a way that changes them as well. Jesus said here, I've given you my peace I give to you, right? I'm leaving my peace with you. So Jesus gave us the peace, but until we surrender and say, Holy Spirit, I really want to experience that peace, it just stays as a gift that's, that's still wrapped we got to open it, and we open it through asking the Holy Spirit into the process. So our spiritual formation, spiritual formation is a work of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's, there's study that goes into it. There's, uh, there's sometimes as we are walking with the Lord, there's emotional experiences as he relieves us of some burdens or as he brings us into a new season, as he gives us revelation or an answer to a problem, there's emotion tied into it. We can't, we can't get away from that, that some of it is learning, some of it is emotion. But all of those things and our identity in Jesus comes through the Holy Spirit. It comes through the Holy Spirit. And that's the spirit that actually, it's the Holy Spirit that teaches us these things, but it's also the Holy Spirit that allows us and gives us the strength to surrender, to give up, so that Jesus can do what he needs to do in our lives. Let's read 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The great thing about working with God, collaborating with the Holy Spirit in our lives, is that He makes a way for our earthly activities to have eternal meaning, right? We go through, we, you know, we, we can go through a lot of motions. We can do a lot of things. What, what, what's the scripture? Like, if, if, I, if, if I have not love, then, you know, then I can speak with the tongues of men and angels. But if I have not love, then it profits nothing, right? That love is the Holy Spirit. That love comes to us through the Spirit. It empowers everything that we do so that it doesn't just stay in this earthly realm. But it empowers our giving, so that we sow something, we, you know, we, we, we give our time, which is natural. We give money, which is natural. We give our, our ear as a counselor to somebody, which is a natural thing. But when we're doing it in submission to the Holy Spirit, it doesn't just stay in this world. It has an eternal ramification. 
because God is outside of time. The, the Holy Spirit is outside of time, outside of this world. So things we do with collaboration with the Holy Spirit have consequence outside of this world. You have huge impact. I have huge impact potential into not just this world, but into the next one, right? The things that we do here, oh gosh, I'm going to Gladiator now. What we do today will echo in eternity. Ah, gosh, Maximus knew what he was talking about. So it's the work of the Spirit that transforms a person's life. You and I are being transformed by the Spirit. We're, he wants us to help others to be transformed by the Spirit. And it's beautiful because God allows us to be collaborators with him. The Bible says that we are co-laborers with Christ. And so we're also co-heirs, right? Everything that Jesus has access to, we have access to. And that means, that, gosh, I can't even start about what that means. That's amazing. Everything that Jesus has access to, we have access to, including the ability to work hand in hand with the Father of creation to see things happen in this world. So as we step out in acts of faith, what we're doing is we're providing opportunities for the Holy Spirit to have his way, Right? You've all had this experience, or at least I hope you have, where you got sort of a little, a little thought, a little something, a little idea. It didn't really come from you, right? Vicky, several, uh, a couple months back, was talking about that, about driving somewhere, driving by like an open house and, and hearing just this little voice saying, you need to pull in there. You need to stop there. We've had these things, right? These little inklings of, oh, this is what I was planning to do, but I hear a little voice saying, you need to do this. So I go and I do it. That's a little act of faith. And when we're willing to take a little act of faith, step out of our own ideas and follow that still small voice of the Holy Spirit who's telling us to go take a slightly different path, what happens is that we open up the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to do something in our lives. We step out of our lane and we go into a place we weren't expecting we don't know what's going to happen. We're relying totally on God. And beautiful things happen when we stop relying on ourselves and we rely totally on God. We, we provide an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to step in and to have his way, building our faith and bringing freedom to somebody else. So Paul said this in 2 Corinthians, 5, uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 5, and 5 through 7. What we preach is not ourselves, but it's Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. I'm going to that scripture because there's a lot of times, I think, as we're talking about disciple-making, we're talking about becoming disciples, we're talking about stepping out in faith, and just the word disciple feels weighty, right? Uh, but maybe it doesn't to you, but to me it does. That's why I don't say discipleship very much, because that sounds weightier, right? So, but being a disciple, it sounds weighty. It sounds important. It sounds, and when I think of things as being weighty and important, my first thought is, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I'm equipped for that. Uh, that, that, sounds, that sounds heavy and important. God, surely, <laughs> fiddler on the roof, Tevia says, I know I'm your chosen people, but once in a while, couldn't you choose somebody else? That would be great. <laughs> and I feel that way sometimes. We feel incapable sometimes of 
being a disciple, making a disciple. But I think what we need to do sometimes is look back at who the first disciples were. And that's going to take the pressure off, right? Look back at the first disciples. They were, this is going to come as a shocker, normal people. They were normal people with flaws, with shortcomings. They were not elite. They were not all well-educated. They were not all charismatic leaders. Some of them were mildly annoying. But Jesus chose them. God chose them. I think probably because they didn't have it all together. And what Jesus is, or what what Paul is trying to share with the Corinthians here is, we've got the Holy Spirit. We've got this treasure inside this kind of messed up body with this sort of messed up life. But God allows things to happen through this life. And that's testimony that whatever's happening that's good out here didn't come from me. It came from God. It came from the Holy Spirit. We have a treasure in these earthen vessels, in these jars of clay, to show that this amazing power wasn't something that we generated. It came from God. So uh, look at this. Look at how I'm I'm about to close, I promise. Look at how uh, Jesus describes the work of the Holy Spirit to his own disciples. He says, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. But concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. But when the Spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you into all truth. For he will speak on, uh, not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he'll declare to you the things that are to come. He'll glorify me, for he'll take what's mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, and therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. When we're feeling a little bit incapable, a little bit ill-prepared, a little bit doubtful about our own ability to be a disciple or to make a disciple, we need to remember the words of Jesus. He said, I know. I know you can't do this. Specifically why I've asked you to do it. I know that you can't do this, but I'm sending the helper. He can do it. I'm sending the Holy Spirit who will teach you everything I ever said. I'm I'm sending the Holy Spirit who will be there in that moment when you're wondering what to say next, he'll tell you what to say next. When you're wondering which step do I take now, he'll be right there and he'll tell you which step to take now. That's, That's the power that you have. The Holy Spirit will help guide you. And specifically, three things the Holy Spirit is gonna help us with in making disciples that are mentioned in this passage. Number one, the Holy Spirit is gonna convict me. He convicts us of sin mainly to reveal our need for Jesus, right? To point out how we can't really do all this on, ourse- on our own. Sin is really just missing the point, right? Missing God in something, getting a little bit off the mark. So the Holy Spirit's there to say, hey, you're off the mark. Time to step back on. See, without Jesus, you fall off. You leave the mark. Get back on the mark. So that's one of the things the Holy Spirit does for us as we become more and more Uh, As we go further down the road in being disciples and in making disciples, he convicts us of sin to reveal how much we need Jesus. 
The second thing, the Holy Spirit convinces us that we're righteous because of Jesus. When we're talking about making disciples, being disciples, sometimes we think, well, I'm incapable. I'm not righteous enough. You should have seen what I did last week. Actually, I was installing flooring last week. I've got two of my five fingers still working. You did not want to hear the things I said last week when these fingers went out of commission. <laughs> Jennifer was actually, it's not bad. It's because you were right there with me installing flooring. <laughs> so I feel like, oh, man, I want to be a lot more righteous than this. Jesus says, I know you're not righteous. I've made you righteous. You're not righteous in and of yourself, but I've come to make you righteous. I'm the one who's done that for you. And the Holy Spirit convinces us, even in those moments of weakness, when we hit our hand with a hammer and say things, he convinces us, you know what? But Jesus has made you righteous, right? That's what the Holy Spirit does with us. When we're doubting, he says, no, 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 you're good. You can do this. And the third thing, the Holy Spirit connects me to the authority of Christ, for Satan is defeated. Satan is defeated. Jesus' authority has been given to you and me, and we are connected to that authority through the Holy Spirit. So when you're feeling like, ah, the devil is beating me down right now, the, the, the things that are going on in my life right now, I feel like there's an attack against me. I just want to remind you, the Holy Spirit has connected you to Jesus. So you have Jesus' authority. And once we've identified that the problem is spiritual, now we know what to pray. Now we know how to go on the attack. And we can say no. We can speak directly to it. And we can take authority over plans of the enemy that have been trying to bring you down. All right? So the Holy Spirit reminds us and connects us with the authority of Christ, reminding us that Satan is defeated and we can tell him that right? So the enemy's power is limited in this world. Jesus also said that he has a lot more to say to his disciples in verse 12. But if he was going to tell them, it was going to blow their minds. So he says, you know what? I'm going to let the Holy Spirit speak that to you as you need it, right? Uh, Let's take a look at John chapter 16, verses 13 through 15. When the spirit of truth comes, this is just a reminder, he will guide you into all truth. He won't speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he'll speak. He'll declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and he'll declare it to you, right? Boil all of this down into a sentence. God is calling us to do the outside work to take the step of faith, to go in and be present in a place where we can serve, to reach out to a person who looks like they're hurting, to share the good news of Jesus with somebody we don't know. That's all the outside work. That's the physical labor. God's asking us to do the physical thing, the outside work, but the Holy Spirit is going to do all the inside work. We just need to take the steps. The Holy Spirit is going to make sure that those steps are effective and that they have impact and that we have what we need in the moment. We take the step, the Holy Spirit's there with us, and then we know what to say. We know what to do. And, and that's it. We're in control of our thoughts, our attitudes, and our actions. That's all we can do. The rest is God's territory. So we set our mind on, on, on Christ. We, 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 we 
we set ourselves in a place of faith and in a place of belief that, okay, God, if you've called me to do this, I'm going to go do this. And I just know that you're going to be there when I get there. We change those thoughts. It starts changing our attitude about who we are and what we can do for God. And then it begins to change our actions. We do something. We see it successful. We see the Holy Spirit move, and we want to do it again because I want to see God move again and again and again in our lives. So one last thing. If you ever, because we will, we'll feel insecure. We'll feel unsure about whether or not we can or should take this step of faith enter into a situation, whether, whether we have enough faith to believe God for something. And when we're feeling that insecurity, when we're feeling that unsureness, and we're thinking, man, those first disciples had it all together. I wish I were like them. Think back. Think back to Paul, who Paul wrote to the Corinthians, and he said, I came to you in weakness and in fear and in trembling. My message and my preaching were not wise and persuasive words, but there was a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest in me, but in God, right? That's the place we need to come to as a church, as individuals, as a body of Christ, where even in those moments when we're in great fear, great trembling, we know that we're not speaking with wise and persuasive words. We need to rely on the demonstration of God's power. 